old-fashioned Temple Baptist welcome to Brother David Nouns with the Timothy Initiative today. Amen. Well, it is just a great honor to be here with you guys uh, this morning. Been looking forward to it. Uh, I am, my name is David, my wife Loretta. So, darling, would you stand, please? This is my wife of 39 years. And I am here this morning to thank you guys for your partnership. I'm just so excited to be one of your missionaries. We've, uh, we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, 2 Timothy 2.2. In our context, in our part of the world, when you go into a village where there's never been a church, you lead someone to the Lord, you teach them to do the same. It does not take long. Those new believers, it's just... It just happens. They, they want to gather together. One way you can tell you're in the body of Christ is you want to be with the family. They gather together. And when they gather together, they praise the Father and they study the scriptures and they pray and they fellowship together. The Bible calls that a church. And so what happens as a result of making disciple makers are little churches begin to spring up all over the place. We are just about nine years old. To God be the glory, we've seen 38,000 churches started in these nine years. And when I, and, and by the way, these are almost exclusively, at least 95% in Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhist, uh, the Buddhist world, that part of the world. We are currently working in 200 unreached people groups. You guys have been a part of that, the Mightily Alliance. You're part of that alliance. There's 32 million mightily speaking people in Asia, and they're about 99% non-Christian, okay? So we're working in 200 people groups like the mightily. We have engaged this year 16 unengaged unreached people groups. And what that simply means is this. To our knowledge, no one has ever shared with that particular ethnicity the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are no believers. There are no churches. There's just nothing there. Currently, we have 15,000 church planters that we're training in 700 training centers scattered out over 27 countries around this world. And when I say we, I don't mean me. I'm staying at the Holiday Inn Express, and I almost had to GPS it just to get here this morning, okay? I couldn't find my way here, and there's no turns, all right? So I don't mean me. I mean we. Ministries like TTI, we do nothing. I mean, we come to a screeching halt without the local church. We believe firmly, we have a firm conviction that ministry is done best when it's done in, by, and through the local church. And I see myself as an extension of your ministry. Malcolm is an extension of your pulpit. I see myself as working under your umbrella. And so I want to show you a few pictures. I want to, I want to let you see some of your fruit Okay, can you guys put up the first? This is a group of believers from one little village church, one year's worth of new believers getting baptized. You guys are taking up an offering next week. Somebody, somebody in the United States wrote out a check for $300. That trained the guy on the left. He's a businessman. We don't train pastors. We train normal people. Pastors are not normal, okay? We train regular, normal people. He's a businessman. The guy on the right, we call him Paul. He's the pastor. The guy on the left, we call him Timothy. He's the, the one being disciple. The Paul disciples the Timothy. 
to make disciples in his village. I know this village well. I've been there. The church meets on top of a roof. And those are the new believers that have been saved from one year's time. Somebody in the States brought out a check for $300. That's what it costs us to train that guy for two years, plant a church, raise up two more church planters to be trained, and take care of an orphan or a widow or a sex slave. Somebody uh, got their money's worth on that one, Pastor Malcolm. Look at the next picture. This little lady was one of the people standing in that line you just saw. Her name is Kali. Kali is the name of a Hindu deity. There's like 30 million of them. And she's in her 80s. She was one of the people you saw that just got baptized. Hear me very closely. She was not rejecting Christ. She did not know Christ. That particular district of India, they call their counties districts, that county of India is what we call a 0.1 county. In other words, 99.9% of the people living there will tell you, I am not a follower of Jesus Christ. She was not rejecting Jesus. She did not know who he was. I'm so thankful somebody told her. Amen? Look at the next picture. Let's move to Africa. This is Rhoda. She's even older. She's 90 years old. She looks sweet and, and nice and helpless. Don't listen. Don't let her. Put, that's one mean old woman, okay? <laughs> she is about as mean as they come. She's been an illegal bootlegger her entire life. And uh, Timothy started a church in her village. See her kind of frowning there? She, she's mean. And, and her granddaughter, who's about my age, got saved. And we teach the new believers a candle gives off light as soon as it's lit. As soon as you're lit by the Holy Spirit, go give out light. Amen? And so we tell them to start sharing Christ the very first day. She thought to herself, who do I know that needs Jesus more than anybody? And she thought, mean old Grandma Rhoda. So she went to see Rhoda. Rhoda got saved on the spot. She wasn't rejecting Jesus. She didn't know who Jesus was. Nobody had ever told her. So then Rhoda said, what do I do next? And granddaughter said, I don't know. I've only been a believer for about an hour. I'm not really sure. But I, they said something about getting baptized. And Rhoda said, what does that mean? She said, I don't know. But I think they dunk you in the water or something. Rhoda said, I want to be baptized right now. Granddaughter said, you can't do it right now. You've got to wait till Sunday. Rhoda said, I don't want to wait till Sunday. I want to do it right now. And if I was 90 years old, I wouldn't want to wait till Sunday either. Okay? And so look at the next picture. They call the Timothy. There he is. And they baptize her right there on the spot. Now, when we talk about planting churches, we're not talking about building buildings. I'm not opposed to building. My last pastorate I was in, I built two buildings that each cost $4 million each. I'm not opposed to building buildings. I'd lots rather meet inside than outside. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people. We would say, I would say this right here is not the church. This is a floor. Y'all understand that? And that wall there, that's not the church. That's just a wall. I'd say you're the church. Amen. And so that's what we're talking about when we talk about starting churches. We're talking about reaching people. Look at the next picture. This is what we call a tree church in Africa. We see entire villages come to Christ. It's hard to see them, but the chief is seated on the ground with a baseball cap on in between the two trees. And when they found out the chief was on the ground, they said, you shouldn't be seated there, sir. You should be seated in the seat of honor. And they'll bring out one of these old beat-up white Kmart chairs, plastic chairs, and they'll sit there. And he said, well, it's true, I usually do sit in the seat of honor. He said, but today you've told us about the one who is king of all kings and lord of all lords. He said, from this point on, when he's a topic of discussion, I sit on the ground at his feet. He got it. He got it. Look at the next picture. Church in uh, Kathmandu, Nepal. Fastest growing church in the world there. 
This church, the reason I show it to you, it's six and a half years old. It's one of the first churches we've started. They've already reproduced. They've already planted in six and a half years 29 other churches. That's a church every two and a half months. I'm so excited about what you guys are getting ready to do. Next week, a lot of those people, as your pastor said, send them back like a, like a, just like a, a fire just to, to burn for Jesus. Amen. 29 times in six and a half years, but that's not all. See the kid with the guitar on the front left? He's what we call a Timothy. There were eight Timothys in that room, and each of the Timothys had already raised up two of their Timothys. And we call Timothy's Timothy Titus to keep it from being confusing. And I know I just confused you. But my point is this. In six and a half years, they've reproduced 29 times, have raised up eight Timothys, 16 Tituses. That's 24 more people that they were training at that time to go out and start yet 24 more churches. That's in six and a half years. Now, uh, one more picture I think I got. Yeah, orphans everywhere. This is a little orphan in a voodoo village. And we, we require our students, when they, to graduate, they've got to start that church again, raise up two more church planters, and take care of an orphan. I'm so excited about this, and I hope you will be too. Our guys are currently taking care of over 3,600 orphans. And that doesn't count the widows, and that doesn't count the sex slaves. But if you figure $30 a month to take care of an orphan, times 3,600, times 12 months, that comes up to about $1.2, $1.3 million, and we don't have to raise one penny. Because we've taught the church planters that you should take care of them as a church. And we're taking care of little kids. We we target, you say, who do you target? The widow, the orphan, the lame, the sick, the demonized, the people that nobody wants, the, the garbage of this world. That's who we target. And I think that's why God's blessing. Amen. So. When I say we are planting these churches and we are doing this and we are doing that, I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about you. You're the ones that are making it happen. Now, that's the good news. Let's talk about the bad news. This world's in trouble. Our country's in trouble. There's one word I want to leave with you this morning, and it's the word urgency urgency. I am hoping that somebody can't enjoy the game this afternoon. I'm hoping somebody can't sleep tonight as a result of what you're getting ready to hear. I'm hoping somebody, you know, us pastors, we're supposed to, uh, we're supposed to comfort the afflicted, but sometimes we need to afflict those who have been too comfortable. And that describes the American church, we're comfortable. I'm hoping you leave here today with a sense of urgency in your heart. There's a passage of Scripture in the Bible that you all know very well. Your children probably know it by heart. John 3, 16 and 17. Can we look at that passage again? I know you can remember, I know you can quote it. But can we look at it again? For God, He didn't just love, He so loved. Who did He love? The who? Tell me again. Who did God love? The How much did he love the world that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only? That whosoever believeth in him, believeth, put your faith in, your trust, rely upon, dependence upon him, shall not perish, he's talking about dying and going to hell, but have everlasting life. And everlasting life is not just talking about a a duration of time, eternity. 
It's talking about what Jesus called abundant life, real life, true life, life worth living. So God so loved the who, the how much that he gave his one and only son, <clears throat> sacrificed him, slaughtered him as a lamb on that cross so that people in the world who put their faith in Christ would not have to die and go to hell but could have real life, true life for eternity. Now look at verse 17. Verse 16 gets all the press. Verse 17 gets uh, left out sometimes. For God sent not his son into the to condemn the but that the through him might be saved. Whenever you're studying the Bible, it's always a good idea to look for key words. If you want to really understand the text, look for pull out the key words. You say, David, how do you know if it's a key word? Well, one way you know is if it's repeated over and over and over and over again. When you look at John 3, 16 and 17, there's one word that's repeated four times. That word is what? Yeah, world. When you read John 3, 16 and 17, what you should be seeing is this. There's a God in heaven who loves the world. Red, yellow, black white. He loves them all. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, not too far from you guys, and I had a pastor that would quote that verse, John three sixteen. and whenever he came to the word world, he'd say, you can take the word world out and insert your name, and I have no problem with that. That's a good application. So I would always read the verse, John three sixteen like this, for God so loved David that he, that he gave his, his only begotten son for David, that if David believed in him, David would not perish, but David would have eternal life, and that's a fine application. But the truth is, that's not what red-letter Jesus said. What red-letter Jesus said was this, for God so loved the, the world. And yet, ladies and gentlemen, the world does not know that. It just seems reasonable, reasonable to me, people like Rhoda, people like that uh, 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 Kylie, it just seems reasonable to me that somebody ought to tell the world about this great God in heaven and his love for them and what it cost him so that they could have eternal life. Two truths this morning. Truth number one, the world is big. It's big. There are over 7 billion people in the world. A couple of months ago, I had a layover in New Delhi, India. That Delhi district, that city greater metropolitan New Delhi area, most of us can't even find it on the map. If you take every person living in the state of Alabama... Add to it every person living in the state of Georgia. Add to it every person living in the state of South Carolina. Put it all together. And there's more people living in New Delhi than three of our states put together, one city. And about 98, 99% of them do not know Jesus. The world is big. Truth number two, the world is lost. It's lost. Did you know just in India there are over 400,000 villages that have never had a church of any kind? Not a cult, not a Catholic, not an Orthodox, not a mainline, not an evangelical, nothing. Over four, not 400,000 people, 400,000 villages. And that's just India. Over 90% of the villages of Vietnam have never had a church. 
90% of the villages in Mindanao, the Philippines, southern Philippines, have never had a church. 90% of the villages in Sri Lanka, Buddhist country, have never had a church. I once drove all day, I got up before dawn in Dhaka, Bangladesh, and drove all day until well into the night, and I pa- Dhaka, Bangladesh is 80, 85% Muslim. I passed mosque after mosque, temple after temple. I never saw, I never saw a church the entire day. Now, there's some there, but there's just so few of them. Ladies and gentlemen, the world is lost. I cannot tell you how many times I've gotten off a plane and I walked outside the airport to get into to, to a taxi and the, the taxi driver said, what, why are you here? What do you do? And I say, I'm a pastor. And he says, a what? A pastor. You know, a pastor. And he says, no, what, what, what is that? And I said, well, I, I start churches. Have you ever been to a church? And he says, a what? I said, you know, a church. You know, where, where Christ, Christians meet. He said, no, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And then I'll pull up my Bible and I'll say, have you ever seen one of these? And he'll say, no. He'll say, what is it? I'll say, it's a Bible. He says, a what? You know, a Bible, the holy book. You see, the problem is many of you drove by 10 churches on your way to church this morning. But much of the world has never driven by a single church because there are none there. They don't exist. There's no Christian presence there telling people about this great God who so loved the world that he sacrificed his one and only son so they could be saved. It just seems reasonable to me that somebody ought to tell the world this good news. Somebody say amen. Amen. Well, what can we do about all of this? Well, there's three things you can do. Number one, every one of us can give. I mean... We can, we can accelerate there. This is a good church. I'm so excited. I told Jeff, uh, your pastor is kind of half crazy. You know the one I'm talking about? I told, I told Jeff this morning, it's so good to be in a church where people actually get saved. I, mean, I just, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. But you guys are good givers, but we can give. Did you know nationwide only point? The average Christian in America today gives about 2.5% of their income to Jesus Christ. And 20% of us give nothing. If you find a dime out on the parking lot on your way to your car and you stop and pick up that dime and you bring it back up and you put it in the offering, you just gave 10 cents more than 20% of Christians in America will give to Jesus in an entire year's time. I was so excited when I turned 60 because now I can go to McDonald's and they'll give me free coffee. But sometimes they make me pay. They might say it's 49 cents, so I put two quarters on the counter. I tell them to keep the change. And you know what? When I put those two quarters on that McDonald's counter, I just gave 50 cents more than 20% of American Christians will give to Jesus in an entire year's time. Now, we can sing about how much we love Jesus. At some point, we've got to put our money where our mouth is. Amen? Amen? We have to do that. And did you know of that less than 3% that we give to the Lord? Less than 3% of the less than 3% trickles down and actually leaves the United States and goes into world missions. We are attempting to fund global evangelism on less than 3% of less than 3%. You say, David, why are there so many lost people in the world? I just told you why. What can we do? We can give. You see, here's the problem. Most of us look at our income and then we look at our bills and we get out the calculator and we, we compute how much we gotta, what we got to have every month for the bills. And then we look at what we can safely afford to give to God. 
This morning, I'm going to ask you to move from safe giving to faith giving. Rather than looking at what you can safely give to God, I recommend you put your calculator aside and drop down on your knees and lift your hands to heaven and say, God, I want to honor you. I want to please you. What would you have me to do? And next week when you come back here and that those cards are turned in and the offering is received, I want you to move from faith give or safe giving to faith giving. I'd like to give a challenge to you this morning. I, I give this challenge every, everywhere I go. Whatever it is you were going to give to God this year for your missions outreach, I challenge you. Will you add a zero to the end of it? If you were going to give God a dollar, would you give him 10? If you were going to give him 10, would you give him 100? If you were going to give him 100, would you give him 1,000? You guys have at least 800 families that come to your church, many more than that, but at least 800. If every family in your church gave about 75, 80 cents a day, every one of you could plant a church in the next year through your church. Through Temple, it costs $300. That's about, it's less than $6 a week. Every, listen, if I was a member of this church and I had kids at home, I'd sit my kids down tonight and I'd say, let's start a church through our church in the next year. Let's raise $300. Every family in this church is capable of doing that. You guys could plant 800 churches a year. That's almost 2,500 churches in three years. And that's giving less, less than $6 a week. What can we do? We can give. What can we do? We can go. We can make disciples. Is there anyone in this room today who will pull an Isaiah? Who will say, here am I, Lord. Send me. The world is big. The world is lost. Here, my Lord, send me. I was in Mali, west, northwest Africa, Muslim country. I was sitting there in a little village where there's never been a church, still no church there to my knowledge. I was talking to a young lady dressed in a burqa. All I could see were her, her eyes. Everything else was covered. I asked her, I said, young lady, why are you a Muslim and not a Christian? She gave a great answer. She said, sir, I suppose I'm a Muslim and not a Christian because Islam came to our country before you Christians did. And that's the correct answer. Because everywhere we go in Africa, I mean, there's a turning to God like you've never seen. The entire villages, like I said, listen, they're open. They're receptive. They're running into the kingdom. The problem is we don't have enough laborers to go. But you know what's really sad about her answer to me? It's this. Christianity had almost a 700-year head start, and they still got there first. We are our brother's keeper. We will answer to God for that. And not just Mali, but Niger and Senegal, Mauritania, Morocco, and Algeria, and Libya, and all the Middle East, and all your stand countries, and all of Southeast Asia, and all of East Asia. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to give an answer to God. What can we do? We can go. Is there anyone in this room this morning that would say, here am, I, here am I, God, send me. I will turn my back on the American dream. I will go to the ends of the earth. Say, David, I, I don't want to go to Mali. Well, I don't blame you. I'm not sure if I ever want to go back. By the way, Timbuktu is in Mali. There really is a Timbuktu. You say, I don't want to go around the world. No, but you can go across the street. 
Talking about New York and New Jersey, we plant a lot of churches in, in New England, New York, New Jersey. If you take the six states that we call New England, Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, put them together. The percentage of people in those states that's, that claim to be born-again Christians is now at 2%. An unreached people group is considered 2% or less. The state of New York is about 3 or 4%. New Jersey is 2%. Out of our 50 states, 35 of our 50 states, the percentage of people that claim to be born again in them are now 15% or less. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The fastest growing religious group in America is what they call the nuns. None of the above. I'm not Catholic, I'm not Protestant, I'm none of them. And another fast growing group is called the duns. People that say, I'm done with church. I'm not going back. You put the nuns and the duns together, and that is overwhelmingly the majority of people in our country. Did you know when Jesus gave the Great Commission, you saw it a moment ago in Matthew 28, Pastor Malcolm showed you, when Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, nation is ethne, people group, everybody, everywhere. When Jesus said those words, he was not speaking to ordained pastors. There was not an ordained pastor on the face of the earth when Jesus spoke Matthew 28, 18 through 20. He was not talking to people like me. He was talking to people like you, Christ followers. How many of you people follow Christ? Let me see your hand. The great commission was given to you. And listen, look back at that passage. There's no please in that verse. It's not a request. It's a command. Everyone in this room is supposed to be making disciples who make... You say, well, wait, wait a minute. I pay Pastor Malcolm to do that. No, no, no. You pay him to equip you to go make disciples. Did you hear him pouring out his heart this morning asking you to... I want to send you out. Let's set this whole county on fire. Man, if I wasn't a Baptist, I would have jumped up and spoke in tongues. What can you do? You can give. What can you do? You can go. What can you do? You can pray. And I leave this for last because I think it's most important. Can I show you a couple of pictures? And I'm going to wrap this up. You guys put up the first picture if you would. This is one of our students in Vietnam. We, we work in Vietnam right up along the Chinese border. You can see the Chinese border from where we have our training centers. They came and they confiscated his pig because he kept talking about Jesus. Now, that, that may not sound like much to us, but it's about all he had. They said, you keep talking about Jesus, we're taking your house. That's his wife, his little baby. What can we do? We can pray. Look at the next picture. Another one of our students, skin disease. He's part of what they call the Hmong tribe, hill people in North Vietnam. You say, why doesn't he go to the Walgreens and get some medicine? They don't have a Walgreens. They don't have a CVS. They don't have a, there's no clinic. There's no doctor. And there was, he wouldn't have any money anyway. You say, what do they do when they get sick? They suffer. And they die. What can we do? We can pray. Look at the next picture. This is uh, uncle of our national director in Pakistan. He was standing outside of his church building in in Faisalabad, Pakistan, two years ago. We've got hundreds of churches in Pakistan. He was standing outside the front door of his church on a Sunday morning and a suicide bomber drove up and 
blew up the church. He was killed. That's him in the hospital. They, he's martyred. His nephew and my friend called me weeping. Dr. David, they killed my, they killed my uncle. They killed my uncle. What can we do? We can pray. Look at the next picture. It's a big earthquake in uh, Nepal last year. Some of you may remember it. Over 500 of our church planters, including some of the mightily people, had their homes destroyed. 500 church planters' homes wiped out. This little lady lived up by the Tibetan border. We actually have two Sherpas, that uh, mountain climbers that are church planters have gone into Tibet where China controls and started churches there. She realized her little baby was in the house when the earthquake hit. She went running back in to grab her child as any mother in this room would. By the time she could get inside the house and grab her baby and head out, the roof collapsed. It crushed her. She crawled out of the rubble with her baby, lay on the ground for two days before anybody found her. By the time they got her to the hospital in Kathmandu, hours away, both legs were toxic. They had to amputate both legs. That's why she's all covered up there. Her little baby ended up with a broken leg. Now, I want to tell you something. If you're a 25-year-old mother in Nepal with no legs, life just got difficult. What can we do? We can pray. The world's big. The world's lost. There's an urgency, ladies and gentlemen. While I've been speaking to you, by the thousands, they've left this world and entered a lake of fire. They have perished. They've done exactly what God sacrificed his son on the cross to see, to keep from happening. But nobody ever told them. What are we going to do about it? I close with this video. Would you guys play the video, please? No audio, just the video part. Kathmandu, Hindu temple over a thousand years old. These are real bodies being cremated. When they're done, they push the ashes into the water, that so-called holy river. There's platform after platform after platform after platform going both ways. Sometimes they're cremated with jewelry on, and so, as you'll see in just a moment, little boys will get down in the water, and they'll, they'll fish out the jewelry. The relatives are over here on the side. Every time I go to Nepal, I take the, my guests there to this, to this temple, and we sit on the other side over there on those steps, and we watch, because it reminds me of the, the ones we missed. You see, 98% of the villages in Nepal have never, or 90% of the villages have never had a church. 98% of Nepal is lost. There's a 98% chance that these people you see going up in flames, there's a 98 out of 100% chance that they lost, left this world lost. And you know, it just, it just breaks my heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It just seems reasonable to me somebody ought to tell them. Amen? Amen. What can we do? We can give. You have an incredible opportunity next week to make a difference in tens of thousands of lives. What can we do? We can go. Right out in the lobby, there's a table over there. If I'm pointing the right direction. You've got a Bible Institute class starting up this week, Tuesday night, I believe. They're going to train you how to lead people to Christ and disciple them to where they can go out and do the same thing. I ask you a question. 
Have you ever led someone to the Lord and discipled that person to where they led someone to the Lord and discipled that person to where they led someone to the Lord and discipled that person to where they led someone to the Lord and discipled that person? That's what we're going to train you to do. There's a table right back there in the lobby. Go register. Finally, you can pray. I'm going to ask our pastor to come and close the service. May God bless you. Thank you for the privilege of being here. This is what I think we need to do. Uh, we can give, but not today. We're going to do that next week. We can go, but not technically today. Uh, but we can pray today. So I want to do this. I want to ask all those that will join me in this altar and, and, and use the altar up there. Use the altar up there. Listen, I want our balcony folks to listen. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not, we'll have time to pray for all those things and all those pictures he showed you. I, I mean, we, we have time to do that. We're going to do that. We're going to put them on the prayer list. But this is what I think we need to pray for today. We need to pray for us. We need to pray that God will take us out of our comfort zone. Because I don't know about you, but I got one. I got a place I like to stay and try to, you know, I, I don't like things to be rocky. These last few months have been just, and it may be God just shaking our cage.